0: Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery, where we will continuously bring you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed in any manner whatsoever as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery & Company. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies mentioned. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Hey guys, I had a chance to sit down with founder, CEO, Tim Joyce from Roundstone Solutions. They're a top partner, value-added reseller from Nutanix. They also sell Cohesity Rubric, among other key IT infrastructure solutions. Tim brings a unique perspective. He's been working with Nutanix for nearly eight years. Uh, that's only two years shorter than Nutanix has been around. So he has been able to witness the entire journey uh, of Nutanix Along that journey, Roundstone has seen massive success themselves. They were just listed as an Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies in the US with over 600% growth over the last three years. So, this is the company to talk to as it relates to Nutanix and IT infrastructure. It was a pleasure to have him on Inside Scoop to talk Nutanix, uh, get a grip of IT infrastructure in terms of the landscape, how public cloud in our opinion, is somewhat overrated, and he provides some figures to back that and support that in terms of total cost of ownership. And he just gave us other insights that I think are relevant uh, to the discussion. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I have with Tim. Alrighty, Tim, thanks for coming on. We're excited to get you on here on Inside Scoop. Uh, we did get Nutanix surprising us, uh, here yesterday, uh, reporting five days early. Uh, so we definitely have a bunch of stuff to talk about. I also wanted just to kick it off right away and just congratulate you on being named, uh, on the Inc 5,000 list, uh, the fastest growing private companies in the U S really looks like, I think the top 700, if, if we wanted to be specific, uh, 687% growth rate. So that's just incredible over a three year period, uh, so, congrats on that! But in general, how you doing? Tell us a little bit about uh, Roundstone Solutions and and just how you doing.
1: Well, Sean, first of all, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, yeah, and I'm pleased to uh, to talk about that and whatever you uh, you'd like to talk about with Nutanix. With regards, to our company. Um, yeah, we were pretty gratified to be listed on the Inc. 5000 listing. Um, you know, it's one of those things that every so often you just like to get recognized for some of the work that you've done. Um, you know, we started our business about eight years ago as a, uh, you know, a fully self-funded uh, value-added reseller. And, you know, starting a business like that at the, at the time we did in 2012, uh, there were plenty of people who questioned whether I was, you know, doing the right thing or whether I was out of my mind or not. And um, you know, it's been a hard slog, but we're at a point right now where we're growing like crazy. And so to be recognized by by the Inc. five thousand list was uh was pretty gratifying. So, you know, hopefully we'll be on it for a few more years to come. But um, you know, we're we're doing well now. So a little bit about my company. So as I mentioned, I started it back in 2012 after i'd had similar companies that i'd owned that have been in the uh, computer resale space Um, you know previously we had done an awful lot with some of the more established vendors like hewlett packard uh, and this time what i decided i wanted to do was form a company that focused more on uh technology that was newer that was going to be more disruptive and effectively make things better for customers. I mean, candidly working with some of the more established companies like Hewlett Packard, there was an awful lot of overhead that went with that, that had nothing to do with innovation or even sales growth. It was, you know, reporting to different channel people, distribution. I would say that, you know, I found that 50% of our effort really wasn't going towards customers. So this time I decided to go after some companies that were newer, that had some technology that was more unique and also to be quite candid they were smaller so they had a need for the partner as much as the partner had a need for them which was not the case with some of the more established legacy vendors who already had hundreds of thousands of partners so we chose to take that direction so i suppose you could look at that and say we were kind of a stealth company for a while in that you know, we're we're selling these vendors that people hadn't heard of, but um, we luckily picked a few of the right horses, and we are fully embracing Nutanix as our go-to vendor, and that has been good for our company. So, we're profitable. We've been profitable from the start, and um, I think we're in a good spot going forward.
0: That's awesome. Uh, in, in general, obviously, you were seeking out uh, an innovative platform then. I think you proved to be accurate. Uh, when you when you kind of fast forward 12 or eight years, um, what type of innovation are you seeing today at the infrastructure layer? So again, everyone, Nutanix is at that layer, uh, competes heavily with some of the large incumbents, some of of, of what he, he spoke about in terms of HP and VMwares of the world. Um, but what type of innovation now are you seeing at the, the, the infrastructure layer uh, that, that really sets up for the future, specifically you being uh, a partner of theirs, and you have to look out, right, like you did in 2012, and saying, okay, who, who do, how do I want to position Roundstone for the next decade? And, and Nutanix says that a lot, right, the next decade, the next 10 years, as they hit their 10-year or so milestone um, here recently. Um, and and, and again, just just looking out uh, forward five, 10 uh, years or so, kind of what are you seeing that's happening today that will create the future?
1: Well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that right now, if we look at where infrastructure is, and that's primarily what Roundstone focuses on is the uh, IT infrastructure layer. Um, I would say that even with Hyperconvergence being a technology that's been out there, you know Nutanix has been selling it for about nine years. The market presence of all of the HCI vendors in total still isn't very high. And I think what that points to is that um, the majority of users still are more comfortable with their existing legacy three-tier infrastructures. So, you know, it's kind of like I, it's, I use a lot of analogies. And if I were to look back and say, you know, we're probably in the, uh, you know, 10 years into automobiles being out there and there are still people still saying, uh, hey, you know, horses are the best thing. And, you know, that's, that's how we're going to go going forward. So for for infrastructure, I think where we are right now is that the majority still are wed to a an older legacy more expensive and certainly not as simple three-tier infrastructure the first step off that right now tends to be hey let's reflex and put everything into the public cloud and you know that that tends to be right now the the thought process and you know primarily it's because you know cfo or ceos flying somewhere looks at the airline magazine and in it is an article about how all the smart guys are putting their stuff into the cloud. And so, you know, as we look at what our business is, is we, we need to convince people that uh, not only is three-tier infrastructure outdated and its time is over, but that the public cloud, while it does make sense for some workloads, it really doesn't make sense for most. and. You know, in, in that regard, then what are you going to do with your own on-premises infrastructure? And I think that's where hyperconvergence will make the most sense. But but right now, I mean, we're fighting as we go into an account, not so much against uh, VMware or Dell or or other vendors with their hyperconvergence, but just the idea that either hey, three tier has served us well, and that's how we're going to keep doing it, or our management has said we're cloud first and everything into the cloud. It's when you get them to stop and think and do a financial analysis that they begin to realize, wait a minute, public cloud is good for some stuff, but 40% higher price to put all my stuff in there, that's not so smart. And that's what we're—that that's the message really right now that we are delivering. And when you get someone to finally sit back and think and look at the analysis, it becomes very clear.
0: Right. Eventually, it becomes a a financial equation, which makes sense, and then also ease of use. And I know Nutanix focuses a lot on ease of use. IT infrastructure in general historically has been cumbersome. Um, the their ability to consumer grade kind of the interface and and, and things like that. That's kind of been the DNA of, of of the business. That switches over to slightly what we learned yesterday, where Diraj who has really led kind of product vision um, and has really emphasized the consumering or or, uh, consumer grade, like infrastructure software. Um, The news yesterday of him uh, leaving, retiring in a sense, how does that impact you? Uh, What are you looking for in terms of, let's say, the CEO of of your largest partner in a sense? Uh, How did you feel about the, the decision Um, I know it's brand new, so maybe there's not as much thought given that it was last night. Um, but just high level thoughts of, 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 uh, what happened and, and also what would you look for in in the next individual?
1: Well, you know, you're right. It, it just happened last night. Um, you know, and I've actually given a lot of thought to it because I've given a lot of thought to how do we get, and how, how do we help Nutanix and in turn, Roundstone, grow its business even faster. Um, I think that when you look at uh, the company that Nutanix has become, it's not a startup anymore. It's a big company. And it's a big company that roughly 18,000 companies have invested their infrastructure in, which means it's not going away. But it's at a point right now where it needs to get over a hump, I think. And the, the hump is really... Uh, getting people to move away from legacy and try out HCI because once they do that, they're going to use it along with the cloud. Now, Deiraj, I've met several times. He's a terrific guy, and he is fantastic in front of an end user because he is uh, obviously the the creator of Nutanix, one of them. But he also um, had an e- has an easy way of making technology which is as you mentioned often very difficult he's able to simplify it and that's exactly what nutanix has done so the company that he's built and the technology that it, he and his company have created i think are solid so the fact that he's chosen to step down now you know i would say probably it was time for him as it relates to his personal stuff i mean you know no one can question that if that's you know, if that's his reasoning. And then secondly, though, I think the company needs somebody that's, that's grown a business to five to $10 billion and Deeridge hadn't done that. So, you know, I'm not at all concerned about it. Um, As far as the Bain investment, I think that's going to be one of those things that helps Nutanix. Um, I think that they have, um, they've shown themselves to be willing to make changes kind of like changing the oil while the car is going down the street with their their move from an appliance vision vision to uh to total contract value software subscription and now they're going to do it with annual contract value so they're willing to make those changes and i think having a partner like bain there um you know is probably not a bad thing i mean honestly you know bain's a financial company so their interest is financial but i don't think they would have invested money into a company that was going to Going to go out of business or was going to continue to struggle, so sure. you know I, I I welcome both of those changes and you know nothing about the announcement yesterday said that Deerage was leaving the board nor selling his shares in the company so you know I still think it's uh I think it's a rocket ship that's really just getting going um, I think they'll miss his uh, his enthusiasm and the culture that he's built. But frankly, as I mentioned before, it's a big company now, and it needs to get bigger. And so, I think they need to bring in somebody that that has done that before and can do it again.
0: For sure, it makes some sense. And and for everyone on the outside, the the Bain investment was seven hundred fifty million dollar investment uh, in a convertible note, and essentially, uh, again, it is a convertible note to equity at a certain share price. And again, it's a, it's a validation of, let's just say, uh, a financial institution coming in with, with a significant amount of capital. Uh, and, and like uh, Tim said, generally that uh, you wouldn't put that much capital to work if you're a financial institution, unless you believed uh, longer term about the vision and direction of this company potentially. Um, so I, I, I tend to agree with that, that mindset. And it was significant in my eyes. It also, more importantly, bridges them so that they can flex their term lengths as they continue to shift uh, to essentially a full subscription business and have durations of those subscriptions either go from one year to two year to three year. However, whatever the duration ends up uh, being at, uh, but financial flexibility here uh, will allow them for product uh, evolution and innovation, which helps you guys, which is which obviously should be uh, cheered, uh, and then also just the the message that I think it sends um, to let's just say the financial community uh, with the Bain investment uh, from that side. Um, right. Moving back to let's just say the infrastructure side, uh, COVID has been uh, a, a big inflection point for businesses. And again, you have the three-tiered architecture, you have HCI, hyperconverged, um, and then you have cloud. And that's kind of the the three layers in a sense uh, that companies are choosing between um, and some choosing between all of them. And I think that brings up the question of multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, uh, right on-prem, off-prem, Nutanix and some of the other vendors sit right in between that that kind of dilemma that's trying to shake out over the next kind of five, 10 years. How do you see it? How does COVID uh, um, evolved and, and, and forced companies to think cloud, but ultimately have them think about the TCO, the, the cost of ownership um, in which the future will be this HCI and 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 how, how are you thinking about multi-cloud? How do you think about hybrid cloud and how Nutanix is positioned to simplify the complexity that is is becoming as as you have um, uh, your data and storage uh, on on prem and 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 in the cloud, uh, how, how does Nutanix really bring uh, a layer of simplicity to that? And has, has COVID shifted the mindset?
1: Yeah. So so taking the COVID question first, um, yeah. I think the first few, let's call it the first month or two, you know, everybody was still kind of like. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know what it's what things are going to look like. But hey, we're still in business. We gotta we gotta figure out how to let our employees continue to work. And so the first couple months was a scramble where people were um, making sure that their employees could work from home. And for those that were already using VDI, and you know, for your for your uh, listeners that aren't familiar with that, that's just essentially extending the uh, somebody's desktop at work to their to a computer, not at work. Um, so it could be at home. But VDI, if you were a VDI user, you needed to make sure that you could support a greater number of users, which really meant you either added more memory to your existing systems or added a few more systems. So that was the first part of it. The second part was, you know, if you weren't using VDI and you were using virtual private networks a la equipment from Palo Alto networks and and others, um, you effectively needed to add those to support your guys at home. So, you know, you'll notice that Palo Alto showed some pretty good results as well as a result of COVID. So the first two months were everybody get everybody getting their, their guys able to work. Now, once that happened and it became acknowledged that we were probably going to be not in our offices for some time, everybody realized, hey, if we don't keep doing business, we're all gonna be in trouble. So people went back to their normal business, they just weren't sitting in their normal desk, they were working from home. So the projects that we were working on prior to COVID are all moving forward again. Hmm. So um, ironically, we do a lot of public sector business and even in, in that segment, the projects have been moving forward. And you would think, you know, with lower taxes and everything that those would stop. But in fact, they haven't because IT is one of those enablers of, of uh, efficiency and, and lower cost. So the COVID thing has has made it so that business is just being, it, it slowed it down in the beginning, but now it's picking back up and we have a very full pipeline as a result. You know, I, I do think at some point you may see a little bit of a dip, but, you know, Nutanix showed showed that they were strong and we we've had strong quarters as well so i'm not worried about that part of it um the second part of your question was multi-cloud and i think that's exactly the right way to do things so the the irony of all of this is that we probably all are already multi-cloud i mean if you think about a large corporation or a small corporation very few of them are running their own email anymore so they're running it either at Office 365 with Microsoft or they're using uh, Gmail. So, you know, if you've got that, but then you have, have other things on-premise, you've already got a multi-cloud situation. Because remember, the word cloud is, is kind of misleading. It just means whose data center it is. Um, I think that overall, uh, what people are, are finding with their, their immediate move to the cloud with COVID... Is they're finding oh my god we're spending a ton of money and you know we can't continue down this path because don't forget aws and gcp and azure are not in business to lose money they're in business to make as much as they can so you know through our analysis with nutanix we find that typically a comparable on-premises environment is about 40 percent less expensive than the public cloud so as everybody rushed to the public cloud to put their workloads there because they thought, Hey, you know, our guys aren't going to get into the data center. Um, You know, now they're experiencing some, some pretty high bills that they hadn't expected. And, you know, the, the interesting part to me too, is I, I tend to look at this a little bit more objectively than some, as far as COVID keeping people out of the data center on a daily basis, you didn't go in the data center anyway you racked the equipment, you turned off the lights and you you were sitting somewhere else running it. So I don't know why everybody thought, hey, the cloud is the solution to COVID because it's not. Um, it All it really is, is it's a different place that you're putting your equipment, but you weren't touching it in your own data center unless you were the install guy anyway. Um, going forward, I think though, that what needs to happen is that companies need to be intelligent about the process rather than just uh, reflex into hey let's do this or let's do that, including let's do HCI. They should look at all of these these based on their workloads and and meaning their applications, and then doing an analysis to see where it best is suited to run, whether it be based on cost or performance requirements or backup or anything like that. So um, you know I think that going forward the hybrid cloud is in fact the way we're going to uh, do IT for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. The, w- one last question, I think that was a good uh, point of view in terms of what's happening um, at the base layer of kind of uh, platforms. The last question really was around um, Nutanix itself, the, the the ability for the platform to flex into new uh, categories, right? You have the core and then you have the, the the new products that they continue to add and layer on. Most of that was done maybe like two, three years ago and they haven't really added as much um, to the platform. But at some point you, you should expect the platform to continue to add on new type of services, whether it's um, logging functionality or some other type of uh, product. Uh, how, do you, how do you think about the, the product expansion down the road? Uh, what are you hearing? What, do you, what, what, what kind of things do you expect to see from Nutanix entering maybe new categories?
1: Well, you know, they're already doing that with some of the products, as you referred to from a f- couple of years ago. It's taken them a little bit of time to get them maybe not fully baked, but um, get them acknowledged and understood better. But, you know, at the very base of what we're doing here, Nutanix has to sell their AOS core infrastructure. So HCI is pretty much required for most of the rest of what they sell. Now, some of their products are absolute slam dunks, like they have a product called files, which is just additional software. And what it does is it takes it takes their HCI and allows it to be used in environments that are heavily uh, file storage, like Uh, They use a lot of NetApp equipment or a lot of Isilon equipment. Those vendors have had that market forever to themselves, and their customers pay dearly because there's no competition. So now Nutanix has has re-architected their software to be able to run files um, just like a NetApp or an Isilon filer would. That's huge. Um, We've got many of our customers that have been using it and love it. Uh, a few of the other products that, that are getting some pretty significant traction, there's a product called Beam, uh, which is you know, kind of going back to what I said before, where you analyze what the workloads in, in any different environment are using the costs that you've got. Um, that's significant. Also, Era, which is a database, kind of like a database as a service product, where it actually simplifies the use of various databases. I mean, anybody that runs Oracle knows that it's a pain in the butt to run. And what this does is it simplifies it and brings the same hyperconverged simplification to Oracle. Um, So that's a big one. The big one they talk about the most right now is is a product called Frame. And Frame is a hosted VDI. And frankly, it makes way more sense to take a look at that than it does to build your own VDI environment. So I think that, you know, the the journey that Dirich has put Nutanix on was right on target. You know, you've got to land the AOS core infrastructure first, and then you've got the ability to add these other products on, which simplifies other parts of the infrastructure. Um, you know, it's it's not that he's doing this. Uh, alone in the market. I mean, AWS, GCP, and others are doing that as well, but he's doing it on-prem. So uh, effectively, his idea was to make, uh, initially was to make infrastructure invisible, which he's done. And now it's to make it so the cl- he's the cloud OS or Nutanix is the cloud OS, meaning you could run your application anywhere and it's going to run the same way. So all of those other products, I don't know that the sales reps were really incented to sell them, nor were they really that familiar with it because they were busy trying to get the AOS uh, software sold, but their new comp plan uh, pays them quite a bit more to sell those other products, which they refer to as the founders products. Um, And I think you're going to see those things accelerate. I mean, we're, we're seeing it, We've sold a lot of all of it, so um, and it all works, so it's all good stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. They, they called out files yesterday, where I, I think they announced 2,500 customers and 180 of the of the global 2,000. So definitely uplift in terms of the quality of customers and the customers total as a whole. We'll end there. I think that's a good place to end. We covered a lot. Um, I wanted to give you a moment to share uh, how, if anyone wanted to learn more on, about Ro- Roundstone uh, solutions and uh, anything else that you wanted to share uh, as kind of a send away. Uh, and, and that's really it. I think we, it was a good conversation and and uh, let you uh, kind of finalize it.
1: Yeah, Sean. Well, so, um, you know, Roundstone is a, it's a, a VAR that focuses on helping moving uh, end users to more modern IT infrastructures. And we focus not just on hyperconvergence, but also new backup uh, approaches, like with Cohesity and Rubrik and others, as well as uh, unified communications as a service. All three of those market segments that we're going after are about making IT simpler, uh, more efficient, easier to scale, and less expensive. Um, we're based in Northern California. So we are uh, very active in the Northern California market. We are also in the New York, New Jersey market. We've got a, uh, our Eastern presence there as well. And, um, you know, we're in, we're in growth mode. So we are looking for new accounts to work with and, and help. So, and I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today because it gives us a, a chance to get, get heard a little bit and, um, I hope that the comments that I've been able to provide were uh, were of some value to those of your listeners.
0: Definitely. Yeah, we'll wrap right there. I appreciate it. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to him directly uh, ah, or I forgot that.
1: <laughs> www.roundstonesolutions.com is the website and we're in the process of, uh, of updating it to look more modern. Uh, and number two, you can uh, send an email directly to me uh, Tim at roundstonesolutions.com. Our phone number is 925-217-1177. And uh, as the owner of the company, I'm available 24 hours a day.
0: There you go. Perfect. So, thank
1: that's you again, he, Sean. That's
0: why he's uh top 700 uh, private companies. So anyways, guys, good good conversation. Appreciate you coming on and we'll wrap right there.
1: Thanks very much.